Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 68. you got Chris and Brian. Uh, this time around, we're going to talk about a recent rifle and pistol training opportunity that we were able to take part in, along with an update on some suppressor-related stuff and just some other tales from the gun counter here at Cap City Outfitters. Absolutely. Um, so uh, one of the tribes that we, we shoot with on a regular basis, um, we has, has the, the tribe has a chieftain to be certain. Um, so one of our local guys is a squared away dude, um, lifelong martial artist, and then also um, law enforcement, um, and, and a guy who spends a lot of his own dollars as well as whatever department monies they'll give up to train him to, to be trained in every way possible that he can be trained. Um, really squared away dude. And so for this training day, uh, it's, it's kind of our monthly thing that we do. We have access to a private facility, uh, and, and we go run drills generally from 9 a.m. till about 3 p.m. Uh, we might break for lunch. We might not. Um, and it's, it's all, it's often a great opportunity to run a bunch of reps of the same drill, grease some skill sets in and do some things of that nature. And so on this particular training day, we're going to try and run through the drills that we ran, you know, some of the things that we saw, et cetera, um, and, and talk about some of those those drills and, you know, just how useful it is to be able to burn an entire day on the range um, and, and, and run through some drills. So the very first drill we did was actually a dry fire drill. Uh, I don't know the name of these drills, and I don't know who to attribute them to, so I'll apologize for that in advance. Um, if you happen to know who it is, you know, sound off, let us know, whatever. Uh, I think there's some Spalding drills in here, some Dave Spalding drills in yeah. here, but I don't know if that's necessarily where all these came from. Um, the dry fire drill was five dry fire and then one live fire, one round live fire into a very small, probably a two-inch circle at five yards. Yeah. So yeah. this drill <clears throat> actually comes from Paul Howe at Combat Shooting and Tactics. There we go. Uh, if you don't know who Paul Howe is, go read the book, Black Hawk Down. Yeah, that's him. Um, and, and also, you know, a trainer, a guy who's been in the industry for a long, long time. Um, so, but basically the gist of it is you, you from slow fire, no rush, you fire five dry fires and then one live round five times with two hands. And then you do the same thing, five dry fires, one live round, five times right hand or strong hand only. Um, and then you switch to left hand or weak hand only, and you fire five more dry fires and one round five times. Um, for a number of folks, this turned out to actually be a little bit of a shoulder workout. Um, I, I've been going through PT for my shoulder, so I've been doing a lot of shoulder stuff. And even at the end of it, it was like, wow, um, never mind the fact that, that I shake like like an old dog on a slick hardwood floor. Um, so anyway, so that doesn't help at all. Uh, but I would think I, sh I did shoot the drill clean. A number of people shot the drill clean. A number of people probably lost mental focus and dropped a round or two here or there. Um, you know, and then, there, and then, you know, a couple guys struggled with a little bit just because they're just not on the range enough and that's part of the game. So, um, but really good drill to, to it's, it's funny because the, the gentleman who was running the show that day, um, basically pointed out that, you know, the, the guys that he works with professionally, that he ran through this drill were all stunned by the end of it, how well they shot. Um, but then, you know, you turn around and you run some other drills and groups start to open back up because you're just simply not focusing on what you're doing, um, which might require you to slow down just a tick, not a lot, but just a tick um, and maintain those tight groupings for the rest of the day. Um, I, I think that within our group, we actually had a lot of folks that were successful at doing that the rest of the day. So it's a good place to start. Yeah. The, this particular drill is a really good warm up 
Um, it doesn't burn a lot of rounds, which is kind of important right now. And honestly, it's something that you could do at home on a regular basis too. Yeah, it does, you don't actually have. Fire yeah, yeah, you don't actually have to have a bang at the end of it um, for certain. So um, I'm, I'm, and I'll apologize, guys, because we ran through a lot of drills uh, in this training day, and I'm trying to think of what the other ones were, and want to make sure we're doing them justice. Um, there was one that we were doing that was basically draw and fire one shot on a three by five note card at five yards from concealment. Or yeah. from or from a duty rig, we had a couple. We have a number of LE guys that shoot with us. Um, or from a duty rig, running all of your retention devices, etc. No cheating, um, and and basically just ran multiple reps of that. Um, which again, you know, it's it essentially an up drill with a rifle, but it's out of the holster with a handgun, uh, and, and and then on a, a reasonably sized target, a three by five note card at five yards is something everybody should be able to do, um, but it's not necessarily easy. So, um, I you know a number of reps there too. Yeah, the part time for that was either two seconds or two and a half seconds, um, which, given the size of the target, is definitely enough to keep you honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're at the chime in and help me with what's next because I'm like so I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I think the the next thing we did was that same drill, but it was two rounds to that target, okay. and with maybe an extra half a second on the part time. Yeah, it seems like it's one out to three, maybe on that two or and a half or three. Two and a half. Yeah. Um, um, we did not take good notes on the drills, so we apologize for that. Yeah, but it was the, the gist of it though is a lot of good reps, um, and I and again I think that starting off with starting off with the dry fire drills and then going to that small size target under time pressure, if you could get outside of the idea that you had to rush everything and simply focus on getting a good solid fast draw stroke, but then settling down on the sights and the trigger. Um, that it, I, I do think that it was easier than if you'd started off cold with just that drill. I think yeah. we saw a lot more people successful because of 75 trigger pulls um, dry before that was a big deal. So, yes. Yeah, from there, I want to say we went back to, we go back to 10 yards and shoot the same. We did the, the walk, like a fade back or the walk back. Was it on B8s? No, we did it on those, on those, Three by fives for a while. Okay, so then that, that was the, I remember if it was three shots or five shots, but it was Thanks. at like 10, 15, 20, and 25. Three shots, yeah. Three shots at 10, 15, 20, and 25. Uh, it might have been 5, 10, 15, 20, and 25 because it's like the three to the fifth drill or something like that. Again, something like that. it's one of yeah. Spalding's deals where you, you know, you got, I, I don't, the part-times are, I don't even know if there were part-times. It was all the time in the world, just don't miss. Yeah. Um, and you did three shots at three, at five yards, 10 yards, 15 yards, 20 yards, and 25 yards. Um, you know, and, and I, I realizing that the likelihood that if you're in a 25 yard gunfight as a civilian, you might be the bad guy, um, or it just may be a really bad day. And that may be where your gunfight is. Um, I, I, most of the guys in this group, e even if they weren't clean on that drill, their misses weren't misses by much. Uh, we had a couple guys shooting guns that were relatively new to them. Uh, one gentleman shooting a Glock 43 X. Um, and, and actually acquitted himself really well with a smaller gun with that short of a sight radius. I thought Nick did a great job driving the trigger yeah. and, and making the gun work at those distances. Um, had a couple of the guys have some epiphanies on the dry fire drills too um, that, that helped him out a lot. I know that uh, the one gentleman uh, didn't shoot it clean, but probably shot it as well as he's ever shot it just simply due to an acknowledgement of hand placement on the gun and trigger finger placement. Um, you know, found some successes there from doing the dry fires up front and then doing that. So yeah, pretty good stuff. I will say that a three by five card with a dot at distance, it, the dot doesn't let you not manage the trigger. You still have to manage the trigger because I dropped a few shots, 
but I dropped them at like 20. I dropped two at 20 and one at 15, but I think I did a lot better actually at 25 because I realized that I was sucking big time. Yeah. Um, if you're going to set this drill up to do, um, put the index card in the middle of your backer. Yeah. Um, so that you can see vertical misses. Um, we had a number of number of people shooting actually over the target. Yeah. Um, which was fine. We, we got 25-foot backstops at this facility. Uh, but we started getting out to you know, 20 and 25 yards. Um, Glocks in particular um, tend to start to shoot high. Yeah, your your sights basically on on most of the Glock firearms, most models of Glock firearms are regulated for about thirty feet, give or take. Um, and and when I say regulated too, I'm talking about the dot inside the U notch. The bullet's going to go where the dot is. Um, at, at fifty feet, uh, you generally start seeing the bullet strike on top of the front sight rather than in the middle of the dot. And then beyond fifty feet, you can see inches high depending on how far out you are. Um, obviously there's trajectory to that bullet. It's shooting relatively flat through probably 40 or 50 yards, then starts to drop, but out through 40, 50, 60 yards, you can see some, you know, you can shoot over some targets fairly easily. Um, and we had some guys run into that, especially with shorter guns. Um, I I don't know. It doesn't seem like that should be accentuated with the shorter gun, but it seems like it was now that could have been some guys healing the gun too, really trying to muscle the shot and keep things there and doing some silly stuff with, with hand muscles. Um, the thing. Also gets into you know how soon your gun unlocks. Yeah. With the barrel and the slide fitment, um, and it's somewhat ammo dependent as well. Um, be easier. True enough. Ammo pressure is going to slightly determine you know, the speed of the bullet leaving the muzzle, and also how fast the gun unlocks. Yeah, and and you know some of this is fairly esoteric, but you know they're all things to take into account when you start pushing distance, um, especially with a handgun. Uh, generally, it's probably more the Indian than any of the arrow concerns, but. If you get to a point where you've got things greased in, um, you know, it may be, you may start looking to, to equipment concerns, not necessarily to change anything, just to understand what the system's doing so you can drive it better. Uh, one of the things that I did notice and that, that I've been noticing is that I'm running a dot optic on my gun. So my, my, my sighting system sits significantly higher above the bore, um, than just standard handgun sights. Um, it, it, for me, what that's pushed me into is I initially sighted the gun at 100 yards. I tweaked it a little bit in between. Um, the 100-yard zero was by accident, guys. Not something I'm recommending. It's just something I ended up doing because that's what was available available to me on the range. Um, but, but ran into some situations where at 50, 60 yards, I was shooting over the shoulders of the target and didn't realize it. Um, and, you know, so you learn, you know, where your holds are. It's no different than any other system like an AR. If you have a 50-yard zero... You're low until you get to 50, and then you're high beyond it until you get out generally to about 200 yards or so. Um, it, it, you know, granted, this isn't a rifle; it's the same system. And if you want to know how to take those shots, then you've got to go take those shots and learn how to take those shots. You have you you have to buy it. You have to earn it. You can't just you know can't just walk into it. Yeah, this is a, one of those drills. In the next drill too, where we did is that 10 yards, 15 yards, 25 yards on, on a B8 target. On a B8, yeah. Uh, I think it was five shots in 10 seconds each time. Yeah. Uh, They're drills that if you're able to, you really want to do them with your duty ammo and slash or your concealed carry ammo or your go to war party ammo. Uh, Because a lot of times that stuff has a different point of aim, point of impact than what your typical training ammo has. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the, you know, the, I'm, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell anybody that, you know, oh, you should be shooting, you know, all of your ammo should be duty ammo so that you're training, blah, 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 blah. 
uh, if, if you can find an analog that shoots close to what you carry in the gun um, as training ammo, that's awesome. But I don't know very many people that can afford to train with the exact same ammo they carry, um, except for the FBI, because they're using your taxpayer dollars to buy their ammo. And quite honestly, um, I'd rather they were able to hit what they're aiming at, especially the SWAT and HRT guys. Um, so I, I'm going to say I have no problem with that. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully I never find myself in a situation where I need them to be as good as they usually are. Um, so anyway, but yeah, you know, definitely understand that, you know, if, if you're not running a little bit of your duty ammo or your carry ammo on a regular basis, just to confirm point of aim, point of impact with that round, um, be, be aware that it, it could be significantly different uh, than what you're, than what you're training with. And that would be a very important thing. If you feel like you're squared away enough to take a 20 or 25 yard shot in extremis, want to know where your crap's going so that you're not creating problems that you didn't mean to. Yeah, and that's one of those things, too. If you're carrying a variety of guns, even if they're all the same model of gun on a regular basis, um, you really want to confirm these things with each particular firearm. Yeah, it, yeah. like, for example, I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I own a an undisclosed but large number of Glock 19s. Um, and, and they're, they all generally have the same sighting systems on them, save one, uh, the one with the dot optic that I carry all the time, uh, is a little bit different. And I, I'm actually at distance, probably more comfortable with the iron sights from a perspective of knowing where the gun shoots, but it's a lot easier to shoot the dot and I'll figure that out too. Eventually, uh, I just need to get more time on the range at distance playing around. And that's not been easy here the last few months. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, with that, that was pretty much it for a pistol specific, right? Until the very end. Yeah. So, um, the, the next thing we did guys, and I, and I don't, and I don't want to get into like trade secrets and stuff like that or our, or out anybody, um, on the material. Uh, but the, the FBI SWAT teams, um, and, and this is all my understanding. This is all, you know, secondhand or thirdhand information that was given to me. Um, but my understanding is currently the FBI SWAT teams rather than utilizing a straight through qualification that's X number of rounds at this distance, blah, 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 X number of rounds at this distance, they basically have gone to a deck of cards kind of system where they have 12 drills or 14 drills, something like yeah. that, um, that that are both 12, 12 rifle and 12 handgun. And then, and of course, you're jocked up with everything. So some of them end up running both guns. Um, but, but the gist of it is uh, you show up on qual day and someone pulls eight or 10 of cards out of the deck of 12 or 14, and cold, you have to walk up and shoot those drills to the standard. Um, and I'm not going to get into what those are again because I don't I don't know how protected that information is. Um, I will tell you that most of the drills, if you are a solid shooter, are more than doable um, if you get out there and train on a regular basis. Um, if you run the, you know, and, and again, I'm not a big you know proponent of you know shoot the test, shoot the test, shoot the test. Um, but the reality is these drills all have a reality aspect to them. In, in behavior, movement, skills, etc., for these guys and these teams. Um, so we went through and ran a number of those drills. The part-times for success are, are pretty solid. The part-times for expert are actually pretty freaking tight. Um, and again, to the credit of this group of guys, we had a number of folks, maybe not every single time, but, but run beyond expert times. Uh, run faster than expert times on a lot of these drills, and 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 the same guys were consistently under the qual times, um, and and I know that we give our you know our LEO guys a little bit of grief about that twenty percent hit ratio, um, but we have a, a number of guys that shoot with us that are police officers that that are way above that standard or not standard but way above that metric of twenty percent. Uh, we've got some local guys 
that can flat burn it down. And it was it was really fun to watch in these drills. Yeah. So one thing to point out, um, these this particular set of drills are designed to be run uh, from like a SWAT style rig or an assaulter rig. So exposed holster, um, nothing from concealment. You know, mag pouch is easily accessible um, for rifle and pistol. Yeah. The yeah. The assumption is that this is you know that these are not again they're SWAT they're FBI SWAT drills. They're not civilian concealed carry drills. Or, or active shooter response drills for civilians, or, or honestly, even just road dog LEOs. I mean, this yeah. is this is you're gunned up and geared up to go to war, um, so everything's accessible to you. And, and I'll give you, a, you know, one of the examples is is dealing with the rifle. Um, you know, and, and the drill simulates a malfunction on the rifle. You transition to handgun, and then you once you've uh, once you have secured the target with a handgun, then you assess your rifle reholster your handgun if needed or stay on the handgun depending on what's going on uh, but the idea is then that you would top off your rifle um, and, and do work with it um, from an application of trying to jam a holster a gun back into a concealed carry holster in a hurry um, if I have a rifle in my hands it's probably not going to happen so we modified that a couple of us chose to you know secure that handgun somewhere other than the holster some of us chose to take the time to go back into the holster some of us flat ass threw our, our sidearm on the ground um, and went to get the rifle up and running, and then once we just dealt with the threat with the rifle, uh, went back to the handgun, secured it, and you know put it away. Um, there's a lot of environments where a lot of guys are going to look at that and they're going to gasp at the tactics of that. Um, but there's a reality check to I'm not going back into an appendix holster in civilian clothes in a hurry, ever, because um, I don't want to shoot my little wheelie off. So, yeah. So yeah. be aware that you know. Some of these drills, um, especially in this case, are are they're very specific to the folks using them. The skills that you're using are very specific to the folks that are utilizing these tests. Um, so you know, bear that in mind. Um, you know, but you know, definitely chase that down. So, yeah, a large portion of these drills, honestly, were they were up drills on an eight-inch circle or a, like a head target um, area. That look like the the piece in Tetris where there's a little nub sticking off the bottom. Call it a T. A T. Yeah, normal people um, call that a T. But as far as like the the geometry of it, it looks like the little Tetris piece. Yeah, it does absolutely. Um, um, you know, call it three inches by about two inches tall. With it's a T box though. But about yeah. an inch an inch thick um, yeah. all the way around. Yeah. Uh, so not necessarily unforgiving targets, but they were by no means generous either. Well, they're realistic. They're very realistic targets. So, you know, center of mass, 8-inch high in the thoracic cavity, um, probably an 8-by-10-inch box low in the pelvic girdle, uh, and then that T-box and properly placed in the, the you know, the head dimension. Um, so, you know, very, very realistic targets that we were using to do these in. Uh, and most of those drills forced you to address multiple targets, uh, multiple, multiple shooting areas on the target, yeah. multiple engagement areas on the target. Um, and, and, again, a couple times with different weapons. So... Um, really, really good set of drills, the good, good stressors, good pushes to make you move and, you know, to make you do what you're supposed to do and think well. So, yeah. yeah. One of the, one of the things that these drills, um, taught a bunch of people was how to use their sling on the rifle. Yeah. Um, cause there were some issues with slings. So yeah, we're absolutely. Yeah. That. We're going to talk about that for, for just a minute. Um, we, we had some folks who were running guns that were new to them. Um, and, and some things popped up that, that probably should have stayed uh, with Charlie Sheen and Michael Bain in the movie Navy Seals circa 1980 something. 
Um, we had a you know a, a couple guys running like bungee style single point slings on on AR pistols, you know, which is analogous to an SBR. Um, and and the the conversation around that is if you're in a high speed team environment, then you know the rules may be a little bit different for you. I, I don't think they are personally, um, and I think you may find they're actually more stringent. But you have two muzzles to control, and as civilians, we're used to controlling the muzzle of our handgun. But as soon as you sling on that rifle, you have a second muzzle to control. And the reality check is this. Even if the gun is on sling and on safe, if the muzzle's flapping around wildly, um, that's not cool. So you need to be aware of that and control your weapon. And that's one of the issues with single-point slings is that generally nowadays, if you're running a single-point sling, it's almost expected that you're going to keep one hand on the gun all the time, even if you transition to another gun to make sure the muzzle of your rifle is not unattended. Um, the, you know, the other issues with it, you know, smacking in the grapes, you know, as you move around, that's all funny. We laugh about it. It's true and it sucks. Um, but if the muzzle of the gun smacking the grapes, the reality is you're probably flagging your legs to include your femoral artery and lots of other um, rather vital vasculature. Um, so, you know, bearing these things in mind, that was one of the things we popped into, uh, had another sling set up, uh, that was running close to the receiver on both ends, front yeah. and back. Which kind of turns it into a single point sling. Yeah, absolutely. You still get it into a situation where the gun wants to end up with the muzzle level. Um, the problem with, you know, the barrel of the gun being level or parallel to the ground is that it's probably pointing at everybody around you. Um, you know, so a, a suboptimal setup. And if you're going to set up like that, then you need to be aware of that. And again, um, you know, and, and it can be anything from, you know, we see the Instagram heroes doing that huge, wide sweeping transition where they nearly throw the gun behind them. Um, if you throw the gun behind you and it ends up muzzle up over your shoulder, you've likely muzzled anyone behind you. And you probably didn't know who was there because you weren't looking in that direction when you did it. Um, so those kind of things are, they're great for range theatrics and they're great for IG influencers and stuff like that who, who think they know more than they actually do. Um, but there's a reality check to control in your weapon. Simply getting the gun out of your way, muzzle down and get into your handgun quickly is the whole reason you transition to the handgun is because you need it. Um, doing that efficiently, um, and, and quickly is a big deal. There are some small things you might do like rotate the gun 90 degrees. So the mag is pinned into the sling and against your side. So the gun doesn't move around. Um, and that's cool because you're doing that in theory to control the weapon and keep it safe while you're moving to the secondary gun. That's totally cool. Do, do it up. Um, but the whole throwing the gun behind you or whatever, um, it muzzles everybody behind you. And again, oh, the gun's in a sling and the safety's on. Well, that's cool right up to the point where you forgot to turn the safety on. Um, or it catches on a piece of kit and is no longer on. And now another piece of kit catches on the trigger, and now you just had an ND, and hopefully it didn't hurt anybody. Um, you know, so those those are all things that come to mind. We start talking about slings. We tend to run our slings on on the butt end of the gun, as close to the end of the stocker arm brace as possible. Generally outboard, so that it's tucked up tight against you and stays out of your way when you shoulder the weapon. And then on the front end of the gun, I don't care if you run it at the receiver or or you run it further out toward the muzzle on the handguard. But I generally run mine at the receiver because it keeps the handguard clean. And it doesn't let the sling foul my sights, my lights, or anything else I might have on the gun. Um, I also generally, on most of my guns, don't use the sling as a shooting aid uh, unless it's on some type of a precision rifle. And I'm not a precision type of guy. So that's, that's just not where I place them. Yeah, as far as slings go, um, we really like the Vickers slings from Blue Force Gear. Yep. Because they're rapidly adjustable. Uh, so when it comes time to shoot, um, you honestly want that sling as loose as you can possibly get it. 
so you can move it around. You can go from low ready to shooting position. You can run the gun in a high port or in a high ready position. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and it still has enough tension and enough control that if you do need to drop it, it's not going to be flopping around everywhere, provided it's set up correctly. Uh, and then when you're in more of an admin type mode or you're not actively on the line, you can grab the adjuster and pull it down snug, and that'll keep the rifle pinned up against your body. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, be aware, too, with the Vickers sling, it was designed so that you could use it as a shooter sling. Um, those of you familiar, I, I don't know the gentleman's name, but he used to he was a Gunsight Academy instructor, um, and he developed a sling that they basically called a ching sling or a cuff-style sling. Um, and, and you can use the Vickers slings like that if you set them up appropriately and you train to. It takes a second or two to get into the sling like that, but, but guys who run that will be comfortable with it if you want to do that. Um, but it's just a really good sling, and it does everything you need it to do and not a whole bunch else. So, good stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, also, guys, too, along with that, there are some other slings like the Magpul slings. Magpul does a quick adjust sling that has a slightly different slider. Um, but it does basically the same thing. Uh, it, it's, it's a little bit narrower webbing. We generally in the Blue Force gear sell the padded slings. The Magpuls don't come as a padded option. Um, but if you're running full kit or running armor all the time and stuff like that and have, you know, high collared shirts like uniform shirts, the Magpul sling works really well too. It's a little more slippery, so it kind of requires you to be a little more mindful of where you let go of the gun at in transition and stuff like that, but still a good quality sling and another option. So, but the Blue Force gear for me anyway, is where it's at. I'm sure there are other really good options. So, Yeah, the Blue Force gear, it's reliable. It's overbuilt, so it's not going to fall apart. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, what else with slings? Make sure your rifle has one. Make sure yeah. your rifle, um, for an AR-15 or a PCC gun, um, subgun like a CZ Scorpion or a BNT, um, APC-9 or MPX or something like that, Make sure it's got a sling designed for fighting with and not a, I'm just going to call it like a carrying strap um, for doing marches and parade ground stuff. Yeah, yeah definitely, um, especially in a $2,400 gun like an APC-9K comes essentially with a carrying strap, um, <clears throat> which is, is interesting. You know, why, why bother putting it in there? It's, it's almost a slap in the face. But, but yeah, uh, you know, a sling should enable you to have your rifle set up where you can readily use it. Um, which means it needs to be in front of you. Um, you need to be able to loosen up enough that you can do that. You know, your your hunting sling or your parade ground sling for an M16 A2 um, is not going to do that for you. Yep. Yeah, it's going to fight you more than it helps you. So, um, cool deal. Hey, guys, we want to throw out a note. Um, anything else on slings before we get into the, the back end of this? That, that sums up most of the stuff okay. on slings. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so that that was kind of this this training event and some of the things that we pulled out of it. Um, some, you know, again, it was it was it wasn't really anything new for any of us, but it was a lot of good reps. Um, funny thing about that, there's not a whole lot new going on in the gun world thing when it comes to actual use of guns. So doing doing lots of reps of the fundamental things that matter are, are what we call training. Um, we should all be doing more of it probably. So. Yeah. Um, so, so having said all that, um, want to, want to jump real quick into a side note on suppressors right now. Um, if you're part of the tribe, you may or may not know this, but if you're part of the tribe, you're listening to the podcast right now. Um, we are running into a case of the slows on the ATF physically processing tax stamps. Surprise, um, surprise. Yeah. And, and I, I don't mean doing the background check. I mean, you call and they say, yeah, your tax stamp was approved two weeks ago on blah, 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 blah date. 
Um, we are seeing approval dates versus postmark dates from the post office on the envelope of up to two weeks from the ATF right now. Um, so meaning if your tax stamp was approved on April Fool's Day, it's not getting touched by the post office until 10 to 14 days later. Not always. Generally, they run around a week or so. Um, but we have seen a number of stamps show up where the approval date uh, versus the postmark were a solid two weeks apart. Um, and then, you know, did, was that on a, on a Friday or Saturday and it didn't move anywhere in the post office for a day or two? Then it took three to five days to get here via USPS. Um, or it showed up here on a Saturday, you know, and the mail didn't get checked until Tuesday when we opened or something along those lines. Um, so we're, we're seeing um, some processing issues right now. And I don't know if that's a volume thing, if it's a staffing thing because of COVID or exactly what's going on. Um, so just want to throw that out there. If you have other folks that have suppressors and stuff like that, you might pass that information along to them. Um, and, and until the stamp physically shows up in our mailbox, we have no way to confirm anything for you. And generally, once the stamp shows up in our mailbox within one to two business days, we're on the horn with you going, hey, everything's processed and ready to go. We do need a day or two to do internal processing, pull the stamp out, pull, pull the gun out or the suppressor out of storage, etc. Um, but just be aware that, that it is extremely common right now for it to take two to three weeks past the approval date, and in some cases a little longer to get that stamp. Um, so if you could let folks know that, that would be awesome. Um, not a good reason to like, oh, it's taken that much longer. I'm going to hold off on buying. Um, wouldn't do that because it's still taking a year to process. What's well, a week or two at that point. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, for additional information regarding suppressors and such, we do have a silencer shop kiosk to help with the fingerprints and that process for your form four. Um, if you're interested in suppressors, um, please go to our website, capcityoffitters.com. Click the link for suppressors at the top and read that page. Um, that page has a link over to our storefront on the Silencer Shop site. Um, all of our suppressor sales are done through Silencer Shop. Um, they have a phenomenal inventory with a lot of really good information, um, a lot of reviews, um, technical support, all of those kinds of things. Um, you can do a gun trust or a single item trust um, for suppressors. Um, directly through Silencer Shop. You just fill out a web form to do that. You also buy your tax stamp and the processing for your Form 4 tax stamp um, directly through Silencer Shop. We highly recommend you do that. Um, if you buy your suppressor through Silencer Shop, there are no additional fees um, associated with getting a suppressor, getting it sent here, getting it picked up, doing the fingerprints, or anything like that. Yeah, it's a very turnkey process. Uh, the other thing I'll throw out there, if Silencer Shop doesn't have the suppressor that you want in inventory, there's about a 95% likelihood that none of my none of my distributors that I would go to for that can't have it either. It would seem that that over the last couple of years that Silencer Shop generally has about as many cans in inventory as the top maybe the top three out of five distributors combined have an inventory. Uh, they move more suppressors than anyone else. Um, you're welcome to call and check and say, hey, Silencer Shop doesn't have this. Can you guys get it? I'm, I'm more than happy to check for you. But as a general rule of thumb to about the 95th percentile, if they don't have it, it's because it's not available on the market right now. So fun, fun. Yeah. Yep. What else we got? That's it. That's it. Uh, on that note, thank you for joining us. 
Um, you can follow along with things that are coming in, um, inventory updates, etc. Uh, on our social media, we are at Cap City Outfitters on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we're regularly posting as we get new inventory in, uh, as we discover cool new things. Uh, so please do follow us on social media. We'll be there as long as we're able to be. Uh, you can sign up for our email newsletter. Um, go to our website. It should pop up a little form to sign up. Or you can send us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com and we would be happy to add you to the newsletter. Uh, visit us on the web at capcityoutfitters.com and then please come see us at the store. We are in Hilliard, Ohio, uh, 4465 Cemetery Road. We're directly in front of the Aldi's. Um, due to the current COVID-19 thing, uh, we are running slightly reduced hours. Uh, we're 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday. Uh, we're limiting it to four people in the store at a time, um, just so we can maintain proper social distancing and whatnot. Um, generally not a big congestion issue or problem. Uh, there's no appointment needed, um, so please just stop by and see us. Thanks so much, guys.